Let's put the rad in radical. If you're looking to expand your life, then you've come to the right place. We're Amanda, Ali, and Reina, and each week we're setting the scene to level up our everyday lives in all areas. Mindset, lifestyle, community, and more. And we want you to come with. All right, welcome everyone to episode nine of Let's Put the Rad in Radical. We are so jazzed today to have a special guest with us, Ms. Nicole Stewart. She is a social worker, a master social worker, and she's here to talk all things radical self-care, burnout, stress, and trauma, and how it impacts our overall health, really in all ways, um, and how she handles that with this radical self-care approach that we can live a more rebalanced, enlightened lifestyle every day and, and really let that be something we implement every day through our everyday lives. So Nicole, thank you so much for being here with us. We're so grateful to have you up on. Um, our listeners are all about the self-care approach and um, finding ways to navigate even especially these more challenging times. Um, it's no secret 2020 has been quite the year. Um, so why don't we kick off by learning a little bit more about you and, and who you are and where you're from and where your story starts. Yeah, so thank you all. I'm so excited to be here with you ladies. So thank you for, uh, for inviting me and having me. Um, I am a social worker. I've been a social worker for about 20 years. Um, the first 10 years I did social work in the rape crisis world. Um, I was in Connecticut and I was um, helped do kind of like the PR and public education for um, all the rape crisis centers through the state of Connecticut. Um, and I did some one-on-one -on -one counseling direct work and some research during that time, but I burnt out very bigly. <laughs> um, and at that point, my burnout, I wasn't really clear that I was, that the work that I was doing was triggering my own past traumas. And I didn't have any concept of that. I just, the manifestations in my body were just showing up. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about those burnouts as we move. But then I decided to get out of that line of work. Um, I still wanted to be a social worker, just in a different field. And I thought, well, which field has the least amount of trauma? And I was like, oh, I know, education. Haha, <laughs> ha, joke's on me. Yeah, <laughs> I see Allison's like, uh, yeah, right. Plenty of trauma in education. And it's just because we work with people, right? And people are, are suffering. So, um, so net, my last 10 years have been in ed public education. Um, I am a social worker currently in a K-12 district. I'm the only social worker for 10,000 students. Um, my caseload is normally about 400 though of those of those 10,000 and then I really really like in-depth work with about 50 to 60 of those kids still a lot um, but my I'm the homeless liaison the foster youth liaison and then my my job is really you know if any kid has a barrier to their education whether it's attendance or grades finding out what's actually happening outside of school and then eliminating those barriers by referring the family to resources um, I am also a foster parent uh, I don't have any kids with me now they're all grown, um, but I fostered teenagers specifically. Um, two of them had babies with them when they lived with me, and I'm really big on attachment. Those first three, two to three years are huge, um, so we wanted to make sure those babies were with us for those first two years. Um, they're all older in their 20s now and moved out, but we stay connected. Um, and I'm a yoga, yoga teacher and a sound healer and a meditation guide, and that is all because I needed that stuff for my own self-care. Well, that's kind of, I want to ask the question, and I think you're maybe starting to get into it, but what caused this, you know, you, you've, you work with so many people in so many different aspects of everything. And it's like, what made you realize like, hey, self-care also needs to kind of come in here. What did burnout look like for you to experience that? Burnout was a brick wall. 
Um, I've had three major burnouts and maybe more, but three that I could identify as burnout. Um, the first was when I was kind of a newbie social worker doing this really heavy work. Um, I will say I was doing rape crisis work around the time of like the Kobe Bryant case and the Michael Jackson cases and a lot of those times whenever there's a public case, um, we get a lot of calls to the hotlines or there are people that then start piling on the victim blaming, which is, you, you know, you kind of would think, oh, everybody wants this to stop. And then you realize, oh, no, actually, people don't really care about this. Um, and again, I, I think I just, I didn't know how to carry the work that I was doing. Um, and nobody told me how. I remember when I was in my graduate program asking a professor about self-care. It was a class about abuse. So the whole class was talking about all the different ways that people can hurt each other. <laughs> uh, and then I, you know, I asked, I said, this is a lot. Like, what do, what do we do to help take care of ourselves? And at the time, my professor said, well, you know, sometimes I like to go to the opera. And I was like, yeah not helpful at all. I'm a broke grad student. I don't necessarily like the opera and that's not available to me, but that was literally all I was given. Um, my burnout, the first one, I thought I had lupus. I was losing my hair. I was getting rashes all over my body. I was losing weight because I wasn't eating. Well, first I gained a bunch of weight because I was eating the wrong things. Um, my self-care at the time was treat yourself. So it was you know, anytime I had to do a home visit that made me a little nervous, after I was done, I would go get myself a fries and a chocolate shake. Mm. And that worked when I only had one home visit a week. Then when I started doing one home visit a day or more than one a day and still treating myself because I deserved it, right? Then I, I actually gained 40 pounds. I was really uncomfortable. I started having severe hip pain. And I remember going to a doctor and him saying, you know, if you lost a little weight, you'd be, there'd be less that your hips are carrying. And I just got so offended. But then when I went home, I kind of, you know, I was like, oh, he's not wrong, right? Like it was one of those self, you know, um, self-reflections. <laughs> um, and that was my first burnout. When I quit that job, within two weeks, all of my symptoms abated. Um, but I was being tested for lupus. I was tested for autoimmune diseases, all those things. Then I moved um, to California in 2007. Um, my, my second burnout was I was working in a school district where it was a really heavily conservative area and very racist, I'm just going to say it. Um, there were blogs written about me in the local paper about the fact that I wasn't qualified to do my job as a black woman. Of course, I didn't say the black woman part, um, but you know, like, who is this person and how was she qualified to do her job? Um, I had a superintendent at the time who was Iranian American, and there was all kinds of nonsense going on about her being a terrorist. And it was just, it, was a, it wasn't microaggressions, it was macroaggressions. And that just, you know, doing the work I do is hard enough, let alone having all that extra garbage. So that burnout was more just exhaustion. I had what I thought was a cold for like months, you know, like a cough and a stuffy, like that whole just bleh. Um, I, I was finding that like I wasn't finding joy in my work and I really didn't want to get up and go to work in the morning. Um, I had some wonderful allies at that time and that's when I decided I needed to, again, shift work. Um, when I moved from that work to an, the next position, um, things were going well and then I, I kind of had a situation where I had a supervisor who was really actively sabotaging my work um, and then publicly being like, I don't even know what she does. Does she do anything? You know, that kind of thing. So again, I'm being worn ragged with my work and then having that really invalidated. I actually got shingles. That happened three years ago. That was my last burnout three years ago on my birthday around Christmas. I got shingles. And that was 
between the second and third burnout was when I was starting to really pull into my own radical self-care. But that last burnout, I was like, look, if this stress can impact my body to the point where I get shingles at 37, right? That's radical. That's radically changing my body and my body chemistry and how my biome shows up. The self-care that I do has to be just as radical. It can't be a manicure and a pedicure or a yoga retreat or a a shopping excursion, right? It has to be deeper. It has to get to that, that transform transformative stuff. If the stress is that, if the stress can transform us that way, our self-care has to transform us that way. So that's kind of where I come to the radical part. Yes. That's what I was like. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. Okay, Nicole, <laughs> let's get radical, <laughs> which I don't want to say is very in alignment with our podcast, yeah, but right. this is very in alignment. There is a point in everyone's life where you have to put your foot down and say that um, I, I saw this thing once that not in a bad way, but you have to become obsessed with yourself um, and that you have to start taking control of your life in a radical way. So you've hit the third burnout. You went enough is enough. You put your foot down. Maybe our listeners, maybe us, are also at that last burnout place. Where does one start? Where did you start? How did you start going from the mani pedis and the treat yourself into a space of radical self-care? Mm. Well, I will say at first it started with me trying to do self-care that ended up not really helping. So when I talk about like basic self-care, right? And I don't, there's no shade. If you like manicures and pedicures and retreats and all that, like knock yourself out, right? I'm, it, it is a, to feel good about yourself and to escape for a little while is a good thing. So I'm not, and I'm, I also love happy hour. If that's your thing, awesome. For me though, again, when I first started doing my self-care, it was the treat yourself. So it was, you know, I would uh, numb myself out with food. Um, I would also do my retail therapy, right? Cause I deserved it. But I found myself years later in $23,000 of credit card debt. And I didn't really know it was that amount because I was spursing it out between a bunch of different cards, right? How we do. Um, I was also um, not really, I was like pulling away from, from connection and supports, right? Then I, part of this is really just getting sick of your own bullshit. I just got sick of the fact that I realized the things I was doing to make myself feel better actually had longer term consequences that were impacting my well-being, right? So like finding myself in debt, that was not fun. I'm out of debt now, I'm credit card free, but that took five years for me to unbury myself from my treat yourself, right? For me, it also shifted when I started really studying yoga. I, I started doing yoga when I was doing my rape crisis work. And I really went to yoga, I'll, I'll be totally honest, just for the yoga booty. There was nothing deeper I wanted. I just want that butt. <laughs> um, and Not bad motivation. <laughs> hey, it got me in the door. Got me in the door and on the mat. Uh, <laughs> and what I found though, when I was in the yoga class, and again, I didn't realize that I still had to work out my own childhood trauma, but I realized, oh, I'm in my body right now. Like I'm fully in my body and it wasn't always comfortable because what I had realized was I've been dissociating. I've been numbing myself out or distracting myself from the things that are pressing on my heart that I just don't know what they are or where they're coming from or how to work with, right? Even as a social worker, I'm like, yeah, that can wait. I got work to do. But I realized like that is the work to do, right? Like the more grounded and, and present and centered I am and the less of my own bullshit I have to deal with the more focused I can be on the work that needs to be done and, and the people I need to serve. Not that I'm 
negating myself. But for me, what I, what I realized was I was doing self-care as an additional thing or as, a, as an escape. And what radical self-care is, is that how are we shifting the ways that we show up in our daily lives for ourselves when nobody's there, right? So that we can not just survive this world or this work, but really thrive in it. Because we talk a lot about like surviving. That's, I don't wanna do this work and barely survive. I wanna be able to do this work and be whole and healthy and do this work for a long time. Um, one of the things I noticed when I was a young social worker and burning out was I would go to these conferences where, you know, the topic would be uh, sexual, you know, sexual violence, domestic violence, trafficking, any of those topics. And you just go from room to room talking about those heavy topics. I noticed in one of my sessions that when I looked in the back of the room, there were a bunch of older women and I was in my twenties. So they probably were in their forties, you know, older. <laughs> um, and they were, they were the elders because again, that work is done by a lot of young people because people burn out. So you, you, most people don't stay in that work longer than ten, five to seven years. These women had been in the work for a long time, sitting in the back of the room, knitting. And my 20 year old brain was like, oh, that is so rude. They're not paying attention to the speaker. This person prepared this conference presentation and they're just sitting in the back ignoring. And then, but then I asked one of them afterwards, I was like, hey, what are you making? And she was making a, a scarf or whatever, but she's like, you know, I've been to these trainings a lot and this content is really triggering for me. But when I'm knitting, I can hear the content without carrying the weight of, of the heaviness of it. And that is actually a radical self-care practice, right? Our brain, when we're doing something that is easy for us to do without much brain power, like crochet, knit, sew, draw, you know, um, it does calm our brain down and it calms, I'll nerd out for a minute. It calms down our amygdala so our hippocampus can come online and really take in the information that's being presented to us and hold on to it, right? That's learning. And what I've learned when I'm with my students is when they are stressed out, when there's something in their environment that they can't control, they, their, their ability to learn isn't, uh, isn't available to them, right? It makes it just a lot harder. Um, so for me, it's really, what are those practices that we can incorporate into our daily lives that bring us a little bit of that relaxation response, which is the opposite of the stress response. Because that stress response is what's gonna kill us. So where does somebody start? This is, this is kind of like, I'm, I actually used to knit and I know Amanda is big into painting. So now I'm like, oh my God, I'm bringing back, I'm bringing back knitting. I used to call them my sticks. I'd ask my husband, grab me my sticks. And I would sit and, we, and my girlfriends and I, we would knit. Why can I picture that so perfectly? Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. And I never ever thought that it would be linked to, you know, some self-care, but it did. It was an opportunity for me to tune out. So that's just a funny side note. And I know Amanda is a very talented artist, but I think that that painting is also probably a stress relief if I was to really think about it. Oh, it's, I, I definitely feel that it is. And, and that's why I love, you know, Nicole, that you mentioned that yoga and, and moving and, and really just reconnecting with your physical being and almost partnering that with your mental well-being and self-awareness more than anything is really powerful. Like the three of us, we do love to incorporate movement of any kind during our day. So we definitely stand by what you shared here. But there is something that you mentioned that I want to talk about, which was the work, you know, I mean, work looks different for a lot of people right now. Um, and, and work is already challenging in the first place. So add on, you know, all this um, anti-racism work, social justice work, COVID, um, elections, all the things like there's a lot going on right now. And it sounds like you face like your fair share of adversity. I cannot believe that newspaper 
add that you mentioned, that's a whole other level. Um, same thing with the fact that, you know, work really did affect your health and you got shingles. So what can you share with our listeners who are maybe going through a hard work period that can give them some sort of, I don't know, like a signal kind of like you got that maybe it wouldn't need to get to shingles or maybe it wouldn't need to get to that level to say, hey, this is how you can become more self-aware so that you can implement things like yoga or knitting so that you sort of, I don't know, you just become your own um, cheerleader in that way where you can rally for yourself when you need it the most during this work period time. Absolutely. Um, well, I think that is actually a good way for me to get into like the my tenets of radical self-care. Um, I think the very first thing though is just a lot of grace and compassion, right? If our compassion does not include us, it's incomplete. That's a Jack Cornfield quote, right? Compassion means to suffer with. And when we are doing that for other people, that's great, but we have to provide that for ourselves too. And that's what I just tell every, all my students, all my teachers, like grace and compassion is the name of the game right now. You're going to have tech issues. You're going to get tired. You're going to be, you're going to forget a meeting. You're going to go, I've, I've gone like the wrong day to things because who knows what day it is anymore. Right. Um, and, and just the reality, like just remembering we are actually in a pandemic. We are doing the best we can through all this nonsense. Right. But when it comes to the radical self-care, the first, the first one is about remembering and reconnecting. So when it is about your work, really thinking about why do I, why did I do this work? Why did I choose this work to start with? Right. Um, I know Simon Sinek talks a lot about the why getting to the why. And for me, sometimes I'm doing that day to day. Like, why am I doing this work? <laughs> and other times it's when I have a moment to assess and be like, is this really the work I want to be doing? And maybe it's, it's not the occupation, maybe it's where you're doing it, right? So again, I knew I, I wanted to be a social worker, but I just couldn't do rape crisis anymore. So I wanted to shift to education. I'm not gonna be in education forever. I'll shift to something else, um, but I will be a social worker the whole time, right? So maybe you are a CPA and it's just, I, instead of being in this, this corporation, I'm gonna work for this nonprofit. Oh, and then maybe I'll work for myself, right? So shifting your work, if that's what you need to do, if you are in the right place, then reconnecting to your why for me, I like to think of either why I got into the work or a quote that reminds me of the work. Um, for me, it's uh, an Audre Lorde quote that says, when I dare to be powerful, to use my voice in service of my vision, it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid. And I used to use that quote when I had to do home visits because they scared the shit out of me. I didn't want to walk into people's homes knowing that there was abuse happening, right? And I've had things thrown at me. I've had things, you know, and the year before I became a social worker, I actually, one of our caseworkers in Ohio was murdered at a home visit. So for me doing those home visits, which is why I did all that treat yourself around it, because I was so freaked out by it, instead of going a little deeper and saying, Nicole, where is this fear coming from? And what can I do to abate this fear instead of, can I get a big fry and a chocolate shake to cover it up when I'm done? Straight up. So remembering and reconnecting with our why, but also when it comes to reconnecting, Find, like really assessing when you do your work, can you show up as your whole self, right? And this gets to some of that racial equity work and some of the work around our LGBTQI folks, right? When I show up at work, can I be my whole self? Can I be my they, them? Can I be like, can I have my curly hair or my afro? Um, can I, can I say have a blessed day, right? I mean, can I bring my faith into my work, right? If you can't, finding ways to reconnect and remember like literally the opposite of dismembering right remember bring back together those parts how can you bring who you are to the work you do and if you can't then maybe it's time to reassess 
The second piece is then that re regulating and rebalancing. So really assessing what, what throws me off, what triggers me, right? And that can be hard. That can take time to figure out what those triggers are. And I'll give you an example. I, I had a, a, a meeting that we would have every other week at my work. And after those meetings for the rest of the day, I would just feel like crap. And I couldn't quite pin why, but I was able to pin it to that meeting at least, right? So I, it took, and this was like a four month process. I pinned it eventually to that meeting. So then what I did was in that meeting, I paid attention to how I was feeling. And if any point there was like a weird drop, what I noticed was the person who was facilitating the meetings would say, this is a safe space. If you have any challenges with anyone, you can bring them here. But when anyone would say, I'm dealing with this or this person or this thing, the response would be, oh, well, you know, there's two sides to every story, right? And what that triggered for me was my own childhood trauma where I was not believed, right? And I, I, I shared what happened to me and I was told, oh, is that really what happened to you, right? So her saying there's two sides to every story to me felt like I don't believe you. And it put me in that little kid's space, right? It took me four months to figure that out. And I also would look around the room and see everybody else like shift a little when she would say that. So I just brought it up to her. I said, hey, I know, I think I know what you mean when you say that, but this is how it's perceived by some folks and for me, especially. And of course she didn't intend that way and she shifted. And once that stopped, that went away, right? But I could have instead of just taken that bad feeling and gone to happy hour every night after those meetings and ignored the fact that the root of that issue was what this woman was saying and my being triggered by it. So rebalancing and regulating, really figuring out those times when we're triggered the rebalancing is all about boundaries. Boundaries like a mofo, like no is a complete sentence. And I also wanna say this to anybody who's listening, just because we are at home does not mean we are available 24 seven. I have to say that as many times as you need to hear that, right? Because that's the thing too, it's like, oh, well you're home, all you have to do is click on Zoom. Like it's not, you have to travel anywhere. No, I don't have time for that today. Right. Can we cue some applause? Like, can we? I know. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna need you to just record a little tidbit that we can have in our phone, just as like a playback when we need, like yeah. a fifteen-second clip of. I should do it in ASMR. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, Nicole, that's powerful. That's. I mean, everybody, just take a moment to maybe rewind that one sentence and let that be your reminder that boundaries are valid and no is a complete freaking sentence. Sorry, I just had to reiterate that. Boundaries are healthy, normal, and necessary. They are. Can I ask, I'm going to challenge it because I have this fear myself, this fear of standing up and saying something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how do you, what's your advice in combating that? Because it is, you know, I think very, boundaries are very important, but we also allow ourselves to get sick by not creating them. So where's the line, you know? Yeah, and that's, yeah, boundaries can be challenging, especially if they're about relationships, right? Um, if it's just for yourself, like for me, my boundary is with social media. Like I can't, I will not check it the first 30 minutes I wake up. And that has been hard for me. I'll be sitting, right? Because right by my bed, I, it's easy for me to roll out of bed, take it to the bathroom. and But a hard boundary, and I have to say this out loud to myself sometimes, is you cannot get on your phone for the first half hour. <laughs> now, when it comes to people or, or coworkers or especially family, right? Boundaries aren't brick walls, right? They, it, it, and it is a guideline for, for like, it's a user manual. Like this is how we will interact, right? And it's not like you even have to tell them like, this is a boundary I have to set for you. You know, for me, it's like, I have one family member that it's a very taxing 
to have interactions with. So I we only talk on Sunday for an hour and that's all I can give him. Um, and for, and it, I didn't say it that way. I just said, you know what, let's talk on Sunday at this time. And then when it comes to that hour time, I kind of start to shut it down. Right. If he calls me at all during the rest of the week, I just don't respond. I don't answer now. And, and now, and after a little while it was only, then he would only contact me on Sunday. Right. So you're, you're training people how to interact. I was just going to say that. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like we're having to treat them like children and say, Hey, this is how you talk to me and how you treat me. Honestly, and, and don't be afraid to do hard boundaries. Like I, for this political season, I had to do some hard boundaries and tell people I was unfollowing them because like, I don't want your memes. Don't send them to me. Uh, you know, I, I do enough hard work. I don't need your, you know, child trafficking memes. Um, I love you and we can text, but we can't be on Facebook, right? Um, so yeah, boundaries are ways for you to ensure your own safety and give yourself some structure. Um, boundaries can also be like, when do you start work and when do you end work? For me, when I end work, I close my office door as a physical reminder of my boundary so that at eight o'clock at night when I'm like, oh, I should send that email, I look down the hallway, my door is closed. No girl, you gotta wait till tomorrow. Now, of course, if you have to do something in the evening, right, then you do, but, um, but not every night and you are not available after six, right? Um, it's the same like when I give my young people, I, I let my kids text me, my students text me, but I tell them I only respond between eight and, and six and only during the week. So if you text, you can text me at 1 a.m., you can text me on the weekend, but know that I will respond Monday through Friday. And they'll even say that. I know you're not gonna read this till Monday, but, you know, but it's on their mind, I want them to get it off. But that's my boundary for them, right? So again, it's not a like, don't talk to me. It's, you can, you can give this to me if you want, but this is my boundary, this is when I'll respond. Um, so that's rebalancing and reclaiming, or sorry, re, yeah, rebalancing and um, re regulating, sorry. Um, then the next one is, and this is, I'm sure some of you, actually, I think you, I've heard you all talk about some of these, uh, routines, rituals, and rhythms. So having routines is really important, right? And they don't have to be specific or super intense. It can just be, I, I get up and, and these are the three things I do when I wake up before lunch, right? Um, or these are the three things I do in the evening when I go to bed. Um, if people don't have a lot of routines, I would suggest starting with a morning routine or an evening routine, whichever works best for you. I'm not a morning person, so my evening routine tends to be a little bit more in, in depth. My morning is more like wake up and roll out kind of. Working on my morning routine. Right. This is all, this is all an ongoing process. <laughs> and I also should say all these things I'm talking about, it's not like you have to do them all at the same time. So start with a few and then see where you go from there. And you'll notice that you'll just want to be doing more of these things because it'll feel good. And it's not like things always feel good, but you know that when things don't feel good, you have the respite to go back to, right? And this will be a temporary crappy feeling and then I'll get back to regulation. Um, so when it comes to rituals, it, or sorry, routines, it's about just creating a, a, a pathway for you to do what you do. Um, if you have kids, obviously, <laughs> I know with the homes, right, kids in the home, having a really solid routine um, that they can help create so that they will stick to it, that can be really helpful as well. Um, then when it comes to rituals, thank you. When it comes to rituals, it's really just about bringing intention to some part of your routine right? Um, for me in the morning, it might be my coffee. Uh, I can do that on autopilot, absolutely. But when I'm really being intentional about it, right, I'm smelling the coffee beans, I'm listening to the water boil, um, I'm watching the milk go in and swirl, right? Really paying attention, almost like I'm making a reel in my, an Instagram reel in my head. <laughs> um, so it could be, we talk about rituals around like tea and transitions, right? So tea or coffee in the morning, um, or anytime you're transitioning from one activity to another, 
when we were working, it could have been your commute that you used as a ritual. For me, my commute was I'm going to listen to a podcast or a positive song list. And I'm going to think about the three things I need to get done as I'm going to work. And when I'm coming home, the three things that I can highlight for my day, one or one to three, right? Sometimes it's only one. <laughs> um, and then when it comes to rhythm, so that's routine and then ritual. When it comes to rhythm, rhythm is where it gets a little bit deeper, right? Recognizing that we all are rhythm, right? We're energy. We are, we, we are vibration. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a woo woo with a, with a lot of grounding. I'm, I'm very skeptical of all the woo. Um, but I read up on it, right? So right now I'm deep in sound healing and there is so much scientific evidence about the way sound heals us, right? And you know this because you, that one song comes on and you start jamming it, right? It just moves your body whether you want to or not, right? Right now I've seen your, your sing-alongs online, right? You feel how that, that beat moves your body, right? You also know there's probably a song that it, if it played, you start crying. For me, that's like anybody can sing Amazing Grace. You could have a frog croak Amazing Grace and I would start crying, right? Um, it shifts our emotions because it shifts our energy. Rhythm is something like our breath is a rhythm, our heartbeat is a rhythm, our routines are rhythms, and sometimes those rhythms are disrupted by stress, right? March 13th <laughs> was the carpet pulled out from under us, rhythms like stopped, right? That threw a lot of people off because they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean I can't do my regular thing? What do you mean I can't go to the gym? What do you mean I can't, right? We all had to sit back a minute and readjust some of our routines. And that was a lot. We all got kind of out of sync for a little while. And I would say even nationally and globally, we've been out of sync maybe for a few months. We're getting there. We're getting back into, into reverberation. One day at a time. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but truly recognizing that stress can pull us out of rhythm. It can change our heartbeat. It can change our breath. We can hold our breath. Um, it can change how our cells function in our body, which is the health part, right? Um, epigenetic trauma and stress are real. Um, you know, it, what that means is it doesn't necessarily change your DNA, but it can change your DNA expression. So if you have a predisposal genetically to any kind of illness, stress can kind of be the spark that brings that illness to you, right? Now, I want to be very clear in saying that does not mean that if you have cancer that it's your fault, right? That's not what this is. The stress is not our fault. The stress is the universe and the environments that we are in. And if we don't take care of that and we don't buffer from that, that will impact our health and our well-being. So that rhythm is about, you know, finding, and, and I use yoga because yoga matches the breath and the movement, but so does the work, the HIIT workouts, right? So does running, so does boxing. So it doesn't have to be yoga. Yoga is just a way, the yoga, I mean, there's a lot of scientific evidence that shows that yoga really does help you come into your body um, your mind stills a little bit, those kinds of things, right? So that's why I say yoga, but it can be, and there's all kinds of different yoga, right? It can be hot yoga where you're doing a vigorous practice. It can be restorative yoga where you're just laying flat on bolsters for a while, right? All the things. Um, and then rhythm is also about tuning back in with nature, um, forest bathing, earthing. Uh, we know scientifically being in near on or listening to water is very healing. Um, Camping, right? We talk about if there's evidence that says if you go camping for up for three or more days, your body actually gets onto its normal circadian rhythm because you can't, you don't have any artificial light to keep you up at night. So you go to sleep when the sun goes down and then you wake up when the sun comes up. And if you do that long enough, your body adjusts itself. Again, that rhythm sinks. It, there's a, a theory called entrainment, right? Where if one thing is vibrating at a very resonant place and another object comes into resonance with that, the one that's vibrating to the most, the most grounded vibration 
uh, will be the other object will begin to resonate with that one. All right, we call it co-regulation when we're talking about human beings. And you all know this if you live with anybody else, right? If you are in a crappy mood, the whole house is in a crappy mood, right? But if your kid comes to you and they're like, mama, and you respond by, ah, oh, what? Right, then it's just a dysregulation party. But if they come to you like that and you're like, what, sweetheart? How can I help you? Let's take a deep breath. We'll find a solution, right? If you may remain calm and grounded, they will regulate to that calm Right. And that's what I do with my students. Right. A kid will come into my office in a panic attack. I don't go like this to them. Right. I'm like, you're safe. We're here. I'm with you. And I just talk in a very monotone. I ask them really basic questions like what's their favorite color? What day is it? Right. And as they start to talk and start to think about those things, that pulls their brain out of that panic and into their thinking brain. Right. So again, that rhythm is really about figuring out, like, are we in rhythm with the work we're doing? Are we in rhythm with the people in our lives? Are we in rhythm with, you know, do we need to make some boundaries to make that rhythm more structured, right? Um, but that's that rhythm piece. And I'm a big fan, again, I'm, I'm getting into the sound healing stuff and y'all, it's, I'm so excited about it. Well, um, I have to share, we did a, that's what we did, right? In LA, Ali and I actually had a trip to LA um, in February before shit hit the fan for COVID. We were like, we got out before everything happened. Nice. Um, but we did a sound bath yeah. on the beach in L. Oh my, it was transforming. I don't want to tell you how many tears were shed, but Raina and I were a blubbering mess on the Pacific Ocean. So like we were like, this is the most amazing, most powerful. We were like, we were transformed. Yeah. It was unbelievable. The, 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 that sound healing is, again, I'm, I'm reading, I'm a nerd. I have to understand the science about something before I can go all in. I did it with yoga. I did it with meditation. I'm doing it now with sound healing. But, but that's why I love following you because you can see it in everything you share. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's amazing. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a nerd like that. Um, and to be very honest, it, I'm an overachiever perfectionist, which is a trauma response, right? I had to be perfect in order to get what I needed. So I recognize fully, I, I appreciate my, my, <laughs> my overachieverness, but it's also a trauma response that I have to say, thank you very much, young Nicole, for, for, for surviving that. And now we're going to put some boundaries on my over, right? Because otherwise like, I'll be doing all the things for all the people. So, but yeah, that rhythm, sound healing, it, it gets to the core of our being. And when you are in that space of, of that deep rest, you get, you touch the oneness that we talk about, right? Like we're all one. You, you really touch that. Like I'm not separated from this ocean, from the sand, from the people that are laying here. And it really kind of, when we're stressed and, and we're dealing with trauma, it, it makes us myopic. We, we have to focus on that stress or that trauma to survive. When we are doing sound healing or deep rest or yoga or meditation or kickboxing or any of those things, we open our perspective and it just shifts that, that weight in us a little bit. So yeah, I'm so thrilled that you all have done sound healing. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm all in right now. I got, I got my bowls. I'm, I'm working it. So I want to touch on the fact that you mentioned your love for books, because like Reina was saying, landing on your page, I've gained so many excellent book recommendations. There's one in particular that was called The Secret Therapy of Trees um, that I, I mean, I saved immediately. It's next on the reading list. Um, I think the three of us would really love to know what are some book recommendations you might have for people who are, I mean, look at her. <laughs> if you are all watching the screen right now, she just lit up. Um, Nicole is Did in it. Did you just it. roll her, your eyes at us? I think that may have been like, 
an overwhelming question. Too many books on the list. <laughs> Too many books. The, the, yeah, we need to know all the books. We need to know. We need to nerd and sound bath and forest bait. Like we need yes. to do it all. Nature connection. And I mean, we're pretty big on books as well. The three of us, we love to dive into our own personal development in that way, but we also really love to share that with our listeners, given that we know our audience is, is heavy into it as well. And, and more than anything in this year, I feel it's um, a really powerful tool, an introspective tool to take off that attention to your phone, um, unplug from those lights that you were explaining, kind of throw off our own rhythm uh, that, that disrupt our very nature of self um, and dial into a little bit of self-discovery. So any books you may have that you'd love to share, we'd be happy to, to pass that on to everyone listening. Okay. I do have some. Um, before I give you my book recommendations, my, I just want to share that final bit of the radical self-care is resting and restoring. Um, and I know that that's a big thing right now, right? Rest is radical. Rest is resistance. That's very, very real. And the beauty of where we are right now with the flexibility of working from home, I will be honest, there are times when I take a nap in the middle of the day. I just clear my schedule. I'm busy on my calendar. Nobody needs to know. It's because I'm taking a nap, straight up. Um, naps are magic. For teenagers too, I really recommend this for my high school kids. Like take a nap, get that extra sleep. When it comes to sleep, um, again, the blue lights of the screens, we really need to kind of pull that back. I try to read an actual physical book at night to let my brain kind of chill out. Um, you know, really putting all the screens away the hour before you're going to bed is really helpful. I know that can be a challenge. Um, and sometimes we can use an app to help us go to sleep. That's fine as well. As long as we're getting restful sleep, at least six to, ten, six to eight hours, you know, if you get 10 hours of not so restful sleep, that's not helpful. So six hours of restful sleep is better, but eight to 10 is really where we want to, that's where the magic happens. Um, and if the more you can sleep, the better, to be very honest, that's when all the things that we learn throughout the day solidify into our long-term memory. That's when our body's able to process all the energy that we've absorbed all day, right? So that sleep is, is a, like the antidote as well. Um, and then getting restoration. So take taking vacation days, taking your sick days and your mental health days, even while we are distance learning and away, right? Like I'm going to take a day off and I don't have to explain to you what I'm going to do on my day. I'm, maybe I'm just going to stay home in my pajamas and Netflix and chill. And that's my business, but I'm going to take my time because what I know, and, and Allison, you might've experienced this when we shut down in March. Well, first of all, a lot of us who work in schools save our vacation for the summer because, you know, kids are in school the whole time. And we, yeah, we have our holidays here and there, but when we shut down in March, like, I don't know about you, but I did not use any of my vacation time over the summer because I, we were working to say like, how are we coming back in August? Right. And then of course that didn't happen, but I still, I have not taken, I took a weekend. I mean, you know, Friday, Monday kind of thing. Um, but I am taking my, you know, maybe it's a Friday afternoon off or things like that. Um, but I recommend taking your time if you have it um, and really creating times where you, maybe you do go on a retreat. Maybe it's just going to LA for a sound bath or going to, um, you know, doing a float or, um, you know, taking a hike or doing an overnight somewhere. Um, it doesn't have to be a lot. It does, maybe it's staying home and doing your thing, but resting and relaxing is, or resting and restoring is a really big part of this work, right? I have a question here, looking at all your words, because we want to hear your book recommendations, but is there a reason you picked the letter R? Remembering, reconnecting, regulating, rebalance routines, rituals, rhythm, rest, restore, all our words. Is, I, there, is there something going on? 
partly because of the radical, but also because I'm a nerd and I'm in education, right? There's so many acronyms. I could give you an acronym for anything, right? We have all the acronyms between social service and education. Acronyms and alliteration, that's all. It's, yeah, I tend to do that, I noticed with some of my things. But yeah, part of it was because of the radical piece and I really wanted to be explaining, you know, self-care is getting a lot of talk right now. The word radical is being used a lot right now. And I think sometimes it's thrown around in a way of just being edgy, but really like radical means grasping at the root, but it also means changing the structure and the very nature of something. And that's what I mean when I say like stress is radical. It changes who we are. It changes our, our body and our biology. Um, you know, if it can do that, then our self-care has to be just as radical. And what we know from the research is sound healing changes our biology. Meditation changes our biology. Uh, you know, yoga and, and earthing and being in the water changes our biology. Like it just does. So that, that's what I, when I'm talking about that radical stuff. Um, another thing, I know you mentioned like tips for folks who are working right now. I was just talking about this with someone, uh, a young woman yesterday. I, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about taking our armor off when we're at work and being able to show up our whole selves. But I actually have a different take on that. And I talk about armoring up. And what I mean by that though, is like, what can you put on? And sometimes it's physical, right? Um, that, that can kind of buffer for you. So for me, like it's my headbands and my hoops. Like this is like, when I put my hoops on, I'm ready for work. And also it, it feels to me almost like a buffer. Like I got my headband on and my, and my hoops on, you're not gonna mess with me today, right? <laughs> and, but it's a ritual that I do in the morning when I'm getting ready. It's like, okay. And then my earrings are the last thing I put on, um, for this other woman that I was talking to, she's native and she has really long, beautiful hair. And she said for her, it's her hair and her hoops. And then she sages herself herself in the morning. Right. So it can be any kind of armoring that you need to show up and feel protected, not armoring so that you are not letting anybody in, but really like what can I, and you know, I, I also have these sweaters that I got that say social worker on them and have my school logo. So when I'm in, it's, I do like a little Mr. Rogers thing when I go to my office, right? I like take off my own jacket, put on my, you know, um, and then I'm ready for work, right? Uh, so armoring up, that can be makeup, that can be nails, that can be hair, that can be jewelry, right? I sometimes I'll, I'll wear my mala beads. I feel like protection. <laughs> so that's another concept. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, y'all ready for some, some book recommendations? And I could- Yes, please. All right, let me start with this one. It's called The Trauma of Everyday Life. Oh, that sounds very on point. It's pretty thin, so it's, a, it's an mm -hmm. easy read, but he, you know, it's really talking about, because you know, when you think about trauma, you think a lot about like big traumas. And so there are some people who would be like, oh, I haven't experienced trauma, but trauma can be a divorce. Trauma can be a natural, living through a natural disaster. Trauma can be uh, being in a car accident, even if it was just a fender bender, right? Car, uh, trauma can be having had surgery and, and the anesthesia kind of weirdness. Um, there's a lot of ways that we are traumatized. And he talks kind of like big T and little T, not that it's a competition, but just that, you know, some trauma is, is deeper than others. But this one's really good. Um, I'll stay with the trauma for a bit. So this one, When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate. All right. So this, again, not too, not too thick. And you can tell I, how I like to read. Um, but this one really talks about that disease connection. Gabor Mate is a medical doctor, and he really focuses on addiction. And his piece is you know, not why the addiction, but what happened to them, right? Um, so because he, he really, he, he draws addiction directly to childhood trauma. When we talk about 
trauma. Um, we can also talk about generational trauma, right? So the, the patterns in your, in your home or in your family may have been going on for a long time. This book called It Didn't Start With You by Mark uh, Wollum. This one's a really good one. Again, not super thick, but a good one to talk kind of about that genetic stuff. Um, this is really, I mean, it's just so, um, uh, it's so relevant to so what so many people even share with us in terms of their feedback um, with how this year has felt for them and the weight of it truly. So, um, uh, sorry, I just had to say that so far, so amazing. And we're all scribbling away. If you can't see, like just writing it all down as we go. Thank you so much for sharing these. Absolutely. I have two more to share with you. I mean, I yes. have seen, but <laughs> um, this one, Waking the Tiger, Healing Trauma by Peter Levine. Peter Levine's a really good author too on any of this stuff. But Peter, this book was the first one I read. What it talks about, right, is that um, that that primitive survival mechanism right where we used to have to run away from tigers and now we have to run away from right the the stress in our life or the trauma in our life or the the tiger in our home right or in our marriage or whatever that looks like but what he talks about is and and he's kind of where i first got that sense of radical self-care what he says is you know when they look at antelope in the wild right any any prey animal if they are attacked but then they survive right? They have to separate themselves from the pack or go away somewhere and they shake out. Like they literally just shake their whole body until they, they shake everything out and then they just go back to what they're doing. What they found though is when they did that, when they released captive uh, antelope that were raised in captivity into the wild, they didn't learn that shaking out because they were raised in a, in a zoo or in captivity. So for those animals, what they found is if they were you know, chased. And even if they did not have a single mark on them, they were never actually attacked by that animal. They didn't shake and they would actually die within a few days because th that stress of being attacked stayed in their body and they never shook it out. Right. So one of the things that I, um, the, it, I talk a lot about is if someone is shaking because they're nervous or they're upset or something, don't stop that shaking. Their body knows what they need to do and they're just getting that energy out of their body. Um, and, but that can be where some of the trauma comes when someone's really upset and their body's doing something. If it's making us uncomfortable, we might tell them like, stop doing that, sit on your hands, or we might even just hug them or like try to get them to stop doing that. And that actually doesn't help. So this, this book was just really, really helpful in understanding like what happens with our bodies. Um, and then this last one is to that nature piece, this blue mind. This is the one about nature or about water, right? Um, the one I have on forest bathing, I think is in my other room. I don't want to run grab it, but yeah, this one is really, again, this says the surprising science that shows how being near in on or underwater can make you happier, healthy, more connected and better at what you do. And the, he even talks about like having a water feature in your office, right? Just hearing water um, can work, but y'all know how you feel when you can get into some, a body of water, right? So that's just a few, I am, have a bajillion more I could share, but those are the, the, the other one that I don't have with me let everybody borrow it. it's called the body keeps the score and that's by Bessel van der Kolk fun word to say but the body keeps the score I am going to be ordering all of these books <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> you know I feel like I have an ostomy and um no large intestine I went through a and I'm not I don't Again, I went through a bunch of trauma in my life and 
I have been saying for years that it's so sad that, it, that people have to have sometimes this massive health thing come up, lupus, shingles, ulcerative colitis, osteoporosis, like all of these things before they wake up and realize they need to slow down. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to watch <laughs> and it's sad to just witness. And so thank you for speaking to that because I think it's so important. And I think so many people have just this habit of ignoring it and pushing it all down. And then it's going to rear its ugly head at some point. So, and, and we, we, we kind of value overwork and burnout, which is really gross. Right. And it's, and it's commodified too, right? There's all these ways to make us feel better or if we burn out instead of again, getting to the root. And when you talk about, you know, it's really important to talk about how our bodies deal with stress, right? So when we are in the survival mode, when, when we have real or perceived threat, right? And right now, this whole pandemic is a perceived threat and it's a real threat for some people, right? Like it's just ominous. There's always this like threat that's just in the air, right? Um, what happens is our bodies go into survival mode and what happens, our, our peripheral vision shortens so we can see what's in front of us. All the functions in our body that we don't need to, to use during survival cease. So our digestion stops, our reproduction stops because we don't need those to attack what's coming. What that means though is there's acid buildup because the digestion is stopping. All of my foster kids had ulcers, right? I work with a lot of kids who have stomach aches or stomach issues and it's, it's, it's somatic and that just means that there's no medical diagnosis for it maybe, or maybe there is, but it's, it's still very real and it still has an impact on the body. So somatic doesn't mean it's fake. It just means it's connected to an emotion and or there may not be a medical diagnosis, but that those gut issues are very, very real when we're holding a lot for a lot of people. And you may not notice that because that's just your MO, right? You are the caregiver. You are the one who just stays stable while everyone's freaking out around you, or you are the one who everyone unloads to, right? So recognizing, and, and for me, that shift is, I can care for you, but I cannot carry for you. And that is a, a reality rebalancing that I constantly say to myself, I can care, but I can't carry. And I even had to say that to myself on my way home before this podcast, because I was dealing with a kiddo who's been you know, kicked out of his home and we're going to move him somewhere safe tonight at, after seven o'clock after my last Zoom meeting. But I, all the way home, I just wanted to cry. And I just said to myself, Nicole, you can care for this kid, but you can't carry this. You can care for this kid, but you can't carry this, right? That doesn't, I mean, I still feel all the feelings, but I also recognize like, I'm not the only one who can help this kid. I am not the end all be all and he is safe for now. I will see him later and we will take care of, right? Like I have to, I have to walk myself through that. Even that little sentence, game changer. Game changer, if it's something you can just consistently remind yourself of. And you thank can remind you. other people like that can yeah. be a boundary. Like I thank you so much for sharing with me that with me. I care about you deeply. I can't carry this for you, but how can I help you carry this? Right? Mm-hmm. What can I do to help support you as you carry this? Thank you. Otherwise, we end up with all of it. Straight up. This is just no. This has been amazing. I want to, I want to pivot into. We have a segment that we call Ready Set Grow, and I'm actually really excited for this one because I'm like, tell me what to do. You know, we, we have this segment that we call Ready, Set, Grow, and we just have our guests kind of challenge our listeners to step up their game in, in some way, whether it is implementing some kind of new self-care that you, some kind of suggestion or challenge you want to give to our listeners to implement this week. Me personally also. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I think the, the place to start is 
really assess the places in your life where you need a little extra radical self-care. Maybe it's home, maybe it's work, maybe it's with your family of origin. Pick one to start and then pick one thing you can do to shift how you feel or how you manage that, that whatever is there, right? Whether it's, again, creating a simple morning routine, creating a simple evening routine that kind of gets you to drift off to sleep, maybe finding that one thing that you can do for 30 minutes a day to kind of give you that, that restoration. But yeah, assessing what, where in your life you need some of that, some of that support. I think that's the, the biggest part. Cause again, people go through life on autopilot and until we hit that brick wall of a real serious illness or a death, you know, I saw that in social work. I have friends who, you know, I watched them have like later in life, have a stroke or a heart attack or get some kind of illness that really kind of debilitated them. Um, and I know that they were suffering that whole time and they weren't getting any support. So again, just becoming aware of those spaces in your life where you might need that little bit of extra. And if it's something that it's just about you and your behavior, being honest with yourself, right? Again, getting tired of your own bullshit is a really easy way to start shifting. And, and, and in a compassionate way, right? It's not that you are doing anything wrong. It's probably a survival mechanism that has been adapted, right? And then it doesn't serve you anymore. So thank yourself and your brain and body for surviving and, and getting you through. Say, thank you so much. And, you know, I don't need this anymore. And shivit, pivot. I said shivit. Shift and pivot. <laughs> Creating all kinds I think of new We're going to use that now. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about the shivit. I'm going to be shiving it all over the place every day. And I'm going to be thanking and tagging Nicole, being like, did you shiv it today? <laughs> Guys, we got to shiv it more. Um, Nicole, that needs to be the name of the episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Shivit is the name yeah. of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Nicole, where can people find you? You are a wealth of information plus just a depth of love, compassion, and how can people get in contact with you? What is, what, what do, what is your Instagram? Give us everything. My Instagram is at love ethic yoga and it underscore between each word. Um, and I, bell hooks is the creator of the term love ethic, but for me, it's really shifting from our work ethic, which we have, we know we've got it in spades, but really incorporating a love ethic, meaning if, we can really have love at the root of everything we do, right? It will, it will make real change. And it doesn't mean you love everybody you work with, but it means you do your work with love. You show up with love. You make suggestions with love, right? Um, I, so Love Ethic Yoga on Instagram. Um, my website is radical-tendencies.com. Um, and my email is nicole at radical-tendencies.com. I also have a podcast. Haven't recorded an episode since April. <laughs> because <laughs> pandemic, um, but I'm getting on it. Uh, the Steward Project podcast. Well, we couldn't be more happy that you took your time to join us on this podcast. We will be looking for your next episode and everything you do, you've gotten three new mega fans and all of our listeners, you know, go check Nicole out. She's, wow, we, we've got pages of notes. And guys, <laughs> after listening to this episode, please like, share, tag us, we want to affect change and we can do that together, just as Nicole said, with love. So let's be radical together. Thank you, Nicole. Ladies, till next time.